0: All right. Well, good morning, Gospel Life. Everybody doing okay? <laughs> my name is uh, Robert Eiches, and uh, I'm a youth pastor at Connect Church in Gunnersville, Alabama. And I used to be on staff with Pastor Dustin, and so the Lord sparked a friendship uh, between he and I. And sometimes I wonder if that's to His benefit and my detriment. But <laughs> nonetheless, we are friends. I'm just kidding. Um, I was thinking, driving in this morning, actually, I've been to Bible college, I've been to seminary, and I think I've gotten just as much of a theological education through that friendship with Pastor Dustin as I have um, with, uh, with Bible college and, and seminary. So he's, he's just a great friend. Y'all got a, a great pastor. Uh, this morning, I want to talk with you about the hope of the gospel. It is Advent season. Advent meaning um, the waiting in anticipation And so if you could imagine, you know, there's a 400-year gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and that was known as the intertestamental period. See? Seminary. Told you. And, um, you know, 400 years and you're awaiting this promise. Sometimes you begin to doubt and wonder, is, is the coming prince going to come and rescue us? And uh, eventually he does come by way of Jesus in a manger. And so uh, this is a brand new series that we're starting up here at Gospel Life Church. And today we are going to uh, focus on the word hope, the hope of Christmas, the hope of the gospel. When I was 19 years old, speaking of education, I uh, was in college and I was undeclared as a major and I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And so I was just kind of taking some basic courses, some basic classes to get those out of the way. And somewhere in the middle of the second semester of college, I was uh, so put out with it and so frustrated because I had no direction that I um, I dropped out. I said, forget it. It's going to get a job, make some money. And when I figure out what I want to do with my life, I might go back to go back to school. And so a couple years passed, and I think, you know, my dad was a computer software engineer, and I know in Huntsville there's a lot of those around here. And I thought, I'll just do that. He seemed to make a pretty good living. And so I went back to school and signed up, and I took a few classes and very quickly realized this is not for me. If you are a software engineer, God bless you. I just don't have the ability to uh, pursue that. And so I dropped out of college again. So I have dropped out of college uh, twice. And when I think back to that time of life, I became very insecure. You know, you look at your friends and they're graduating college, you're getting adult jobs and falling in love, getting married, even started to have children, and I was just kind of floating through life with, uh, with no direction. And you know what I could have used? I could have used hope. could have used some hope. And we could all use hope. I'm not sure where you are in life today. Um but maybe you could use a little hope. Maybe in some ways you feel like you don't measure up. If you get on Instagram for five minutes, <laughs> sometimes we can feel like we don't measure up. I heard somebody say one time, we often compare our uh, behind the scenes with other people's highlight reels. And I thought yeah, That makes a lot of sense. makes a lot of sense that we, we do that. Other people's highlights, we compare it with our behind the scenes. Um, it could be a failure from a job or a relationship. It could be some sort of shame that fills us and haunts us. It could be that we just feel insignificant for some reason or another. And so this morning, we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 9, 2 Samuel chapter 9, and we're going to go through that entire chapter. And if anybody understands what it's like to feel like they don't measure up, to feel ashamed, to feel insignificant with nothing to offer it would be this guy named Mephibosheth, which is a, what a great Old Testament name, Mephibosheth. And so I want to open up by just reading um, 2 Samuel chapter 9 to you this morning. So let's read this chapter, it's not a long chapter. It says, David asked, is there anyone remaining in the family of Saul that I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? And there was a servant of Saul's family named Ziba. And they summoned him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? I am your servant, he replied. So the king asked, Is there anyone left in Saul's family that I can show the kindness of God to? Ziba said to the king, There is still Jonathan's son who was injured in both feet. And the king asked him, Where is he? And Ziba answered the king, Oh, you'll find him in Lodibar at the house of Makir, son of Amael. So King David had brought him from the house of Mekir, son of Amael, in Lodibar. Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David, fell face down, and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth, I am your servant, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him. Since I intend to show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, I will restore to you all your grandfather Saul's fields, and you will always eat meals at my table. Mephibosheth paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should take an interest in a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Saul's attention, or attendant, attendant, Ziba, and said to him, I have given to your master's grandson all that belonged to Saul and his family. You, your sons, and your servants are to work the ground for him, and you are to bring in the crops so your master's grandson will have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, is always to eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants, and Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do all my lord the king commands. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table just like one of the king's own sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah and all those living in Ziba's house were Mephibosheth's servants however Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table his feet had been injured and so if anybody is in need of hope and received hope it would be this guy named Mephibosheth so the hope of Christmas or the hope of the gospel is three things that I want to share with you today so if you're a note taker Here's number one. Number one, the hope of Christmas is available. The hope of Christmas is available. In verse one, David asks, is there anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake. So if you are a person that likes to take notes or write in your Bible, I would encourage you to underline or circle that word kindness. Skipping down to verse 3, he's talking to Ziba, and he says, Is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. So again, underline, circle the word kindness. And then he meets Mephibosheth, and he says, Don't be afraid. And I love that phrase. Because back then, you know, you had kings. And if there was a regime change, you know what typically would take place is the new king would... Uh, take out the old king and the old king's entire family because there's this fear. There's this fear that somebody from his family line might, uh, might start an uprising and say, hey, I'm the rightful heir to the throne. I want the kingdom back. And so what kings would do is they would just kill everybody in the old king's family. And so Mephibosheth is Saul's grandson. And he's scared to death. And what does David say? He says, don't be afraid. Have you ever been uh, had this motion in life where you're just like, you know, you have this shame or this sin in your past, and it kind of haunts you and it eats you up inside, and and maybe you even think to yourself, there is no way that God would forgive me for what I've done. I know he's a forgiving God, but he doesn't know what I've done. I've done some awful things, and if he knew, he would never forgive me. In the scripture, uh, just like uh, the king does for Mephibosheth in welcoming him into the kingdom. God looks at you and looks at me and our sin and says, Welcome to the kingdom. Do not be afraid. And then he goes on, he says, I intend to show kindness. Kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. Now, what promise does he make? We can take note of this and look it up later. But in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse number 15, before Jonathan passes away, Jonathan says to David, Don't ever withdraw your kindness. Do not ever withdraw your kindness from my household, not even when the Lord cuts off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. Now in the Old Testament, the word kindness, in your uh, translation may say loving kindness, that's the word hesed. In the Hebrew it's hesed. And that means covenant uh, commitment. It means covenant faithfulness. This is the kindness that that King David has for Mephibosheth, and this is the loving kindness that God has for you and for me. Um, In Genesis chapter 15, God has this conversation with Abram, and he makes a covenant with Abram. The word covenant is like an agreement or a contract or promise times a thousand. You know, it's like a whole nother level of. Uh, Of promise. And so he's got this conversation with Abram and he says, I'm going to bless you. Like your family tree is going to be incredible. Look at the stars, look at the little sand pebbles. Like that's going to be your family tree. I'm going to bless you in that way. And so I'm making a covenant with you. I'm making a promise to you that I'm going to do this for you. And in in response, Abram is supposed to say, well, I'm going to live up to this covenant as well. I'm going to honor you with my life. And so this is really weird But one of the things they do, instead of just drawing up a contract and signing it, is they would take a bunch of animals and they would slaughter them, and they would make a line of slaughtered animals over here and a line of slaughtered animals over here, and of course there's blood everywhere. It's kind of a gruesome scene. And then uh, what you're supposed to do is both parties are supposed to walk through, walk between those two lines of slaughtered animals. And when you do that, that's like you're signing the contract. And what you're saying when you do that is you're saying, if I don't live up to my end of this covenant, may what happened to these animals happen to me. May my blood be shed if I don't live up to the covenant. Now, if you look at Genesis 15 and read it, what you'll notice is that God in the image of a flaming torch walks or goes between the lines of destroyed animals. And another thing you might notice is that Abram never walks through. He never walks through. And it seems that God is saying, if I don't live up to my end of the covenant, may what happened to these animals happen to me. And and it's like God goes on and says, if you don't live up to your end of the covenant, may what happened to these animals happen to me. May blood be shed to me. And we all know that the, the gospel is telling us that Jesus' blood was shed for you and me. Even though we don't live up to his standard, we don't live up to his covenant, he takes full responsibility. Well, there's a covenant that's made between David and Jonathan to show kindness to uh, Jonathan's family. I was listening to a podcast not long ago, and uh, this guy, his, his dad was mentally ill, really struggling. So he said, I brought... I was going to bring my dad to my pastor. Let my pastor count him a little bit. So he brings his dad to the pastor and he becomes emotionally uh, unwell and expresses himself in very uh, boisterous ways and kind of almost causes a scene. And you could tell he's just filled with just so much turmoil and stress and anxiety. And he said the pastor said, you need, to believe, you need to have more faith, you need to believe this, you need to study this scripture, and you need to do these three things or these seven things or whatever, and kind of lecture them. And uh, he said his dad got back in the car after that, and they went back home. And uh, his dad was even angrier than he was before. And on the, po- on the podcast, this guy said, you know, my dad didn't need a lecture. My dad needed a hug. He just needed a hug. God is a, a kind God. And his kindness is available to you and I. His kindness was available to Mephibosheth. One reason that David shows this kindness to Mephibosheth is because of the promise, the covenant that he made uh, with Jonathan. But I think a second reason he does it is because God has been so kind to him. If you flip back just a couple of chapters, 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse number 9, God speaks to David, and notice what God says. God says, I've been with you wherever you've gone, and I've destroyed all of your enemies before your eyes. Now, I will make your name as famous as anyone who has ever lived on the earth. And I'll provide a homeland for my people Israel, planting them in a secure place where they will never be disturbed. Evil nations won't oppress them as they've done in the past starting from the time I appointed judges to rule my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all of your enemies. Furthermore, the Lord declares that he will make a house for you, a dynasty of kings. Now, there's three things that God does for David here. Number one, David, or God gives David a name. He says, I'm going to give you a name as famous as anyone who has ever lived on the earth. He makes David almost feel important. That's number one. Number two, he gives David a place, provides him a homeland. I will provide a homeland for my people, Israel. And the third thing that he gives David is he gives David rest from all of his enemies. And as we read this passage of Scripture, you'll notice that David gives those same three things to Mephibosheth. He gives Mephibosheth a name, he makes Mephibosheth feel welcome and important. He also gives Mephibosheth a place. He says, you can have a seat at the king's table. And you think about the anxiety of what it must have been like to be Mephibosheth. At any moment, the new king is going to come in and wipe you out (laughs) and kind of take you out of the picture. And then his name is called, and he's filled with all of this fear. There's no rest in that. But what does he say? You are now a part of the kingdom you can rest from all of that anxiety. The things of God have become attractive to the things... uh, I'm sorry, the things of God have become attractive to David. David is drawn to do what God has done for him. And so, the hope of the gospel is available. Now, here's number two. Number two is that the hope of the gospel is a gift and it's not a reward. The hope of the gospel is a gift, it's not a reward. As a student pastor, one thing I tell our students all the time is what makes Christianity unique. What makes Christianity unique? Every major religion in the world, what you have to do is you have to follow a certain set of rules and guidelines and laws, and if you do a good enough job, God will accept you. It's not a gift. It's a reward. You've got to earn it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Christianity is altogether different. Christianity teaches here are some rules, here are some laws, here's the standard of how you ought to live life, and none of you can do it. <laughs> none of you can do it. But Jesus has done it in your place, and He gifts the righteousness of God to us. So, going back to verse number three, the king asked, Is there anyone alive in Saul's family? I want to show kindness. Zeba replies, yes, Jonathan's, uh, one of his sons is alive. He's crippled in both feet. Where is he? He's in Lodibar at the home of Makir, son of Amael. And then moving down to verse number eight, Mephibosheth bows respectfully and says, Who is your servant that you should show such kindness to a dead dog like me? Who is Mephibosheth? Looking at this passage of scripture, the word Bosheth, his name Mephibosheth, Bosheth means shame in the Hebrew language. How would you like your name? My name's Shame. How terrible would that be? He's, his identity is one of shame. We've already talked about this, but he's deserving of death because a purge typically takes place when there's a change of kings. He's in a place from Lodibar. In the Hebrew, the word lo debar means nothingness or insignificance. And then he calls his, excuse me, he calls himself a dead dog. The word dog uh, in the Old Testament, that, that's, you know, today it's like, what's up, dog? You know, but we, so we don't use it the same way. But in the Old Testament, that's like one of the worst insults to call somebody a dog, and that's how he refers to himself. Tim Chester, a commentator, he says it like this. That Mephibosheth is a nobody from nowhere with nothing to offer. Spiritually speaking, we have all of these things in common with Mephibosheth. Because of our sin, we are filled with shame, we have nothing to offer, we are deserving of death, and we are insignificant. We are, spiritually speaking, nobody from nowhere. With nothing to offer. Now you might hear that and go, "Look, I don't disagree that I've made some mistakes and done some bad things, and that I've sinned." But I think you're going a little bit too far with this. I'm not that bad. I'm not, I'm not that bad. This is hard to preach because it can be offensive. But um, the Book of Isaiah says that uh, that your righteousness, man's righteousness, is like filthy rags. It's like filthy rags. It's like the good part of you is filthy rags. The good part of us is really useless, sinful, and wicked. Now I got a silly illustration to explain this. So y'all like to show friends, your yeah. the friends. There's one episode I watched not long ago where Phoebe gets into this argument with Joey, and her argument is that it is impossible to show uh, to do. Uh, to commit an unselfish act in a generous way. You have to be selfish to be generous, is basically her her argument. (laughs) You ever seen this episode? And he's like, what are you talking about? And she says, well, how does it make you feel when you're generous and loving and kind? And he says, well, it makes me feel good. Yeah, you're doing it for you. You're not really doing it for them. And without realizing it, Friends is really making a pretty interesting theological statement. Even in our good works, we are doing things that are selfish, prideful, and maybe even arrogant. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 would say it like this, that we are spiritually dead in our trespasses. But getting to verse 4, God is so rich in mercy, and He loves us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead it is only by god's grace that you have been saved for he raised us from the dead along with christ and listen to this seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with christ jesus there's a phrase we're going to examine here in a few moments but if you remember from the reading uh, what does the king do from ephibsheth you get to sit at the king's table what does Paul say here in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6? He raised us from the dead and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. And so, the hope of the gospel is a gift, it's not a reward. You know, several years ago, there was this young lady growing up in England named Kate. And Kate's 15-year-old. Fifteen years old, teenager. And you know if Kate wanted to go to the royal palace and just kind of observe what it's like, you know what she'd have to do? She'd have to register. She'd have to pay. She'd have to go through a background check. And even when she got there, she'd got to pass a security clearance. And then when she's in the palace, she, she's got to be led around by you know, almost a, a tour guide. It's like she can't, If she wanted to go to the royal palace, she couldn't just open the door and just start walking around like it's her own house. But eventually, Kate meets this guy named William, Prince William. And they date, and they fall in love, and today they are married. And now, Kate doesn't have to register. She doesn't have to pay anything. She doesn't have to go through a security clearance. She is free to roam wherever, whenever she wants. And this leads to the third point, and that is the hope of the gospel is abundant. He is giving us the kingdom. And so the hope of the gospel is a gift, not a reward. It is also abundance. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 says, You are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And so let's look at where he talks about this idea of the king's table. In verse number 7, David says to Mephibosheth, you will eat here with me at the king's table. Towards the end of verse number 10, Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, will eat here at my table. Uh, Towards the end of verse number 11, from that time on, Mephibosheth ate regularly at David's table, like one of the king's own sons And then verse number 13, Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem and ate regularly at where? The king's table. And you'll notice Mephibosheth is not merely tolerated. He's provided for and he's invited into a relationship with the king. Tim Chester, who I studied a lot for this uh, sermon, also says this. God's king was eating with God's enemies as a sign of God's grace. You know, I thought I might go back to that idea of Jonathan. He does this because he made a promise with Jonathan. Jonathan was just like such a good friend to David, like the best kind of friend. And it's because of Jonathan that Mephibosheth is now treated in this way. And it made me think of this big theological term, imputation. You ever heard that word, imputation? Big theological word. And what it means is that the way one person is living is credited and given to somebody else. And so in order to explain what Paul is talking about in the book of Romans, theologians have said that the righteousness, goodness, and holiness of Jesus is imputed into the person of faith. That is to say that when God sees you, if you're a Christian, and you've placed your faith in Him, when God sees you, he sees you as if you lived the perfect life that Jesus lived. And I thought here, why is Mephibosheth being treated this way? It's like he's getting credit for the way that Jonathan lived his life. It is imputation in the Old Testament. Romans chapter 5, verse 10. Since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies... We will certainly be saved through the life of his son. And here in just a few moments, what I I love is that uh, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. If you think about it, what is the Lord's Supper? It is God inviting us to eat at the king's table. And we do this for three reasons. One, it's a sign of God's grace to us. Two, it is a pledge of God's love. And three, it is a great reminder and a gift to us that we're reminded that all of our sins have been completely forgiven. I'll close with this. Uh, I heard a pastor tell a story one time. He said he started at a new church up in uh, Nashville area. And uh, as he started, one of the first people he met was this older guy who used to be a, a Navy SEAL, a former Navy SEAL. And they developed this great friendship, and they would meet, you know, three or four times a month over lunch or coffee, and they'd share stories. And he was just enthralled by all the stories of this Navy SEAL. And he said, you know, one of the things that happened almost every time we met is he would pause and get real serious, and he would say, Pastor, I am ashamed and feel terrible about some of the things I did when I was a Navy SEAL. Like sometimes it just haunts me at night. And I just can't escape it. Sometimes I wonder, does God really forgive me of my sins? And he said, every time he would tell him, I want you to know, God loves you. He died on the cross for you. All of your sins are forgiven. Well, the Navy SEAL, he got older and he developed a, a form of cancer. And he knew his days were very limited. And one of the last people that he wanted to see was his pastor. So his pastor comes, sees him, and they talk one last time. And uh, he says, uh, Pastor, does God really forgive me of all my sins? And the pastor said, we have met three, four times a month for the past four or five years. You know God has forgiven you of all of your sins. And he said that old guy looked at him and said, yeah, I just wanted to hear it one more time. You know, one of the reasons I think sometimes we do struggle with anxiety or insecurities or hopelessness is because we forget that all of our sins are completely and totally forgiven and so jesus invites his disciples to sit with him at the table in luke chapter 22 verse 19 and he took some bread and gave thanks to god for it he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying this is my body which is given for you do this in remembrance of me After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is a new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. So just as he invites the disciples to eat at his table, he invites you and I to sit at his table and partake. And so in closing, if I could say anything, what I would say is this, all of your sins are forgiven.